You're listening to the Brooke Snow Podcast, conversations to help you look forward with faith, faith in yourself, faith in God, and faith in your own mission and purpose. I'm your host, Brooke Snow. You have episode 66, Seeing Things As They Really Are. Have you ever told yourself a story about what someone thinks of you? How has that turned out for you? (laughs) Funny how we so easily fool ourselves into thinking we know what is going on in someone else's head. Yet we do it all the time. We tell ourselves stories about our relationships and events in order to make sense of our life. Unfortunately, our stories are usually inaccurate and lead us to misunderstand, miscommunicate, and suffer. In today's episode, we're going to find out how we can know if we're telling a story and examine what is really going on so we can live with love and peace and learn to see things as they really are. If you enjoy this podcast, I know you would love my book, Living in Your True Identity. It's available on Amazon and filled with 21 tools to help you live life as the best version of yourself. As a special announcement... My 10-month mentoring group starts on February 9th. This is my flagship program called Mastering the Art of Showing Up, and I only open it once a year. And yes, it is 10 months long. (laughs) Remember, by small and simple things are great things brought to pass, but we need the benefit of time on our side to see things compound into something really great. I'll be opening doors in a couple of weeks here, and I'd love to plant a little seed in your mind if this might be a good support for you this year. I promise to share more details later, but for now, I invite you to just ponder the idea and ask if it might be right for you. Thank you to all of you who have left a review for this podcast and have shared it with a friend. As you know, I am not active on social media. This is a deliberate choice that helps me to have the creativity and focus to make this podcast the best that it can be. So the only way this podcast grows is by word of mouth. It's by you. So thank you for taking the time to share this with your friends and support this effort. I love you for it. Today's review of the week comes from Amber Hoops. Amber says, words cannot express the thanks I feel for your content. My mother shared your podcast with me. And as the young woman president of my ward, I just knew that my girls would be impacted by your floor and ceiling concept. We listened to it while we worked on our goals for the new youth program. My young women and leaders were introduced to a whole new way of finding success, but that is not the greatest gift we have received from listening. My 10-year-old son is sweet, talented, and struggles with anxiety. He has met with a counselor. We have worked with him on concepts to address his stress. It continues to be a struggle. While listening to your podcast, he has experienced many aha moments and declared, everything is opening up for me. He now creates ceilings and floors and reaches out to his heavenly team whenever he needs assistance with his anxiety demons. Your content is appropriate and applicable to all ages. Thank you. Amber, thank you so much for your review and especially for sharing how the concept of floors and ceilings has helped the young women in your life and even more so your 10-year-old son. I have a 10-year-old son too. (laughs) So of course, I totally get teary when reading your review (laughs) because I have actually not taught my own son floors and ceilings yet. So hearing your story has inspired me to teach my son this concept and be reminded that these concepts really can help all ages. Thank you so much for sharing your story and your experience. 
And I can tell that you are an amazing teacher and leader to the people in your life. Keep up the amazing influence and the work that you're doing. Amber referenced episode 61, Floors and Ceilings, as well as episode 63, Your Heavenly Team. Both amazing episodes. I'll include both in the show notes of this episode for you to listen if you haven't had a chance. If you're among the many people who have been transformed by using floors and ceilings in your life, I have a New Year's gift just for you. After so much amazing feedback, I created a free downloadable ebook on floors and ceilings that you can receive by clicking the link in the show notes. So many people have asked me for exact quotes and references so that they can teach their families and other people that they work with. If you want to have a reference for that, be sure to check out the free ebook in the show notes. If you want to be the reviewer of the week, please leave me a five-star review in iTunes and share your favorite takeaway so far. Your ratings and your reviews and your shares, this is what makes this podcast possible. So thank you so much for listening and sharing. Have you ever had the experience of having a particular impression of someone or of a situation and then being totally surprised when you learn that you were totally off, <laughs> that everything that you had thought was true wasn't true at all? Perhaps it was an impression of a person that you quickly judged to be one way. And then upon getting to know them, you realized they were totally different than you expected. Or perhaps it was the impression of an event or experience that you assumed you knew the cause of people's behavior. Only later, learning that those motivations were wildly different. Stephen Covey calls this a paradigm shift in his iconic book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Now, if you've read this book, perhaps you recall the story that he tells in the very first chapter. He talks about his experience of being on a subway one Sunday morning in New York City. In his words, he says, people were sitting quietly, some reading newspapers, some lost in thought, some resting with their eyes closed. It was a calm, peaceful scene. Then suddenly a man and his children entered the subway car. The children were so loud and rambunctious that instantly the whole climate changed. The man sat down next to me and closed his eyes, apparently oblivious to the situation. The children were yelling back and forth, throwing things, even grabbing people's papers. It was very disturbing. And yet the man sitting next to me did nothing. It was difficult not to feel irritated. I could not believe that he could be so insensitive as to let his children run wild like that and to do nothing about it, taking no responsibility at all. It was easy to see that everyone else on the subway felt irritated too. So finally, with what I felt was unusual patience and restraint, I turned to him and said, sir, your children are really disturbing a lot of people. I wonder if you couldn't control them a little more. The man lifted his gaze as if to come to a consciousness of the situation for the first time and said softly, oh, you're right. I guess I should do something about it. We just came from the hospital where their mother died about an hour ago. I don't know what to think. And I guess they don't know how to handle it either. Covey continues saying, can you imagine what I felt in that moment? My paradigm shifted. Suddenly I saw things differently. And because I saw differently, I thought differently. I felt differently. I behaved differently. My irritation vanished. I didn't have to worry about controlling my attitude or my behavior. My heart was filled with a man's pain. Feelings of sympathy and compassion flowed freely. 
your wife just died? Oh, I am so sorry. Can you tell me about it? What can I do to help? Everything changed in an instant. Now, while this may seem like an extreme example, I don't think it's too far off from how we often experience life. We see people or situations, and we can be so quick to jump to conclusions to satisfy our brain's need to find meaning in all that happens around us. Brene Brown in her book, Rising Strong, refers to this natural human tendency as telling ourselves stories. We tell ourselves stories to make sense of everything. We tell ourselves stories about who we are, what other people think about us, why someone responded the way that they did. And so much of our personal suffering in life comes from these stories. Unfortunately, so often we are totally off. In fact, I would go as far as saying that almost always we are totally off. I could give you a whole list of stories that I have told myself in my life. I've told stories about my family not loving me or approving of me. I've told stories of my kids' behavior. I've told myself stories about what other people think of me to the point of destroying relationships. I've told myself stories about what God thinks of me or what God thinks of other people on and on and on. And it brings so much suffering. I'm coming to discover that every painful thing in my life is caused by a story I tell. And I have yet to find a story that I've been telling that in the end is actually true. Have you ever wondered where these stories come from? How is it that we so quickly and unconsciously form these stories that bring so much pain and misunderstanding? Some stories we maybe inherit from our parents, others from our culture or our community, but even still, they originate from one main source. For just a moment, I invite you to think of a relationship or a situation in your life right now that is struggling. What is the story you're telling? We all have a story about something. We know the story really well because we like to tell it over and over again. I'll pause just for a moment while you think of one. You think of something? (laughs) Now that you have your story, I invite you to examine what perspective this story is being told from. In our grade school English writing classes, we are taught the difference between first-person narratives and second- or third-person narratives. First-person narratives are told using the pronoun I. You are narrating your story in your own voice. Second- or third-person narratives are told using the pronoun you or maybe he or she. Now, why would this be important to distinguish in our own thoughts? Why do we need to know, is it first person or is it second or third person? Is your story in your head using the I pronoun or is the story being told using you or he and she? When we can determine what perspective the story is told from, we gain some very important insight. I can know if the story being told, if it's in second or third person, that it's not me telling the story. I'll restate that once more for dramatic effect. (laughs) 
I know if the story being told is in second or third person that it's not me telling the story. It can't be. It comes from someone else. So if you're not telling the story, then who is? Well, we have one of two options. It's either the devil on your one shoulder or the angel on the other. The story you tell takes you into darkness, then it's from the devil. If the story brings you light and love, then it's the angel. Or in other words, it's from God. So often we talk about Satan as our tempter. We know that he tempts us to choose evil, but before he can even get us to do that, he must accomplish something else first. He must get us to believe his story. Once we believe him, then we make choices that support our belief. One of Satan's most important tasks is to be our interpreter. This is his unceasing job. We go through this life and we interact with other people. We encounter challenges and experiences. We're here on earth learning. And because our brains seek to find meaning in it all, Satan will constantly tell us how to interpret everything. He tells us what other people think of us. He tells us what other people's motivations are. He tells us what God thinks of us. He tells us what our past means about us and what lies in the future. He constantly tells us what is in other people's heads and what they're thinking. But unfortunately, these interpretations are false. They are never accurate. They are never 100% true. And when we believe his interpretation, we suffer and we make choices that lead us away. This week in the Book of Mormon, the church is studying the vision of the tree of life. This iconic vision is a vision of the prophet Lehi. He shares his dream exactly as he experienced it. He describes imagery of what he saw. He sees a glorious tree that bears fruit of a most glorious kind. He sees a straight and narrow path and rod of iron leading to the tree. He sees a mist of darkness that blinds the view of those traveling the path. He sees a great and spacious building separate from the tree, and it's filled with people mocking those at the tree and beckoning them to come to the building instead. Lehi desires for his family to come to the tree and partake of the fruit, so he calls in a loud voice out to them. But only part of his family comes. When he awakes, Lehi immediately shares the details of his vision with his family. But as far as we know, he doesn't share the interpretation of it. Dreams are often symbolic in nature, and this one is no exception. What you see, or in this case, what Lehi describes, it means nothing until we receive an interpretation. Similarly, we too are going through our life having experiences. The prophet Jacob even described life saying, our lives passed away like as it were unto us a dream. Nothing in our life has meaning until we put a meaning on it. Satan is quick to interpret the meaning for everything. Thankfully, this is not the only meaning we can choose from. We are not left alone. Truth, however, must be sought for. We must seek it. Lehi's son, Nephi, desires to know what his father's dream means. Instead of making assumptions or believing the interpretation that Satan is surely offering, Nephi goes to the Lord 
and asks for the Lord's interpretation. In response, the Holy Ghost comes to Nephi and guides him through the dream, providing God's interpretation of every little thing. Nephi learns what the rod of iron means, what the path means, what the tree means. He learns the interpretation of the fruit, the mist of darkness, and the great and spacious building, and many other details. This absolutely fascinates me. Nephi does the work to obtain the correct interpretation. And what does it do for him? It fills him with faith. It helps him to see his father as a man who was led by God. It gives him faith in the journey that they're taking as a family. It gives him faith in his own ability to seek God's interpretation in all things. So what does this mean for us? This life, just as Jacob described, is also like a dream that must be interpreted. And there is always two interpretations. Satan will always offer his immediately. He doesn't need permission and he doesn't need to be asked. He is always interpreting. He speaks in second and third person offering his interpretation. Have you ever wondered what Satan's interpretation of Lehi's dream was? (laughs) We don't ever really talk about that, now do we? (laughs) Remember, Lehi shared his dream with his entire family. We know Nephi sought the Lord for interpretation. Which interpretation do his sons Laman and Lemuel receive? We know they didn't ask God for an interpretation, and that eventually Laman and Lemuel separate from the family, and for generations afterward, there is war and bloodshed between them and their descendants. Do you suppose they were offered a different interpretation from Satan? Of course they were. (laughs) We are all offered Satan's interpretations for every single experience in our life. If I were to take a guess, I think Satan's interpretation of Lehi's vision might sound a bit like this. Your father thinks he's so special and chosen by God because of his dreams. He said God told him a dream that Jerusalem would be destroyed, but you know it wasn't. You went back to Jerusalem twice already, and it's totally fine. It hasn't been destroyed. You can't trust his dreams. Look where that led you already. This new dream is a total hoax as well. He is just making you suffer out here. Your father thinks you can't make it to the tree. He doesn't believe in you. He said that you didn't come to the tree in his vision. Your father thinks you're misguided. He just wants to control you. If he really loved you, he would not have told you that he feared for you. He thinks he knows everything. He loves Nephi and Sam more than you. He's always favoring Nephi and Sam. Hmm. (laughs) Now, of course, I'm just taking a wild guess at Satan's interpretation, but I'm pretty familiar with the way he interprets everything in my life. So I feel confident that this is pretty close to what he would have said. We too are always being offered an interpretation of everything. Did my friend not respond to my text message? She must be upset with you. She must be offended by you. Did I catch a glance from someone across the room looking annoyed? She doesn't like you. She thinks she's so much better than you. Are my kids fighting with each other? You're such a terrible mom. If you were a better mom, they would be better behaved. Is my husband late coming home? You are not important to him. He would rather be working than be with you. And so it goes. 
story after story, interpretations. One of my favorite tools that I share in my book is the little black notebook. When I'm feeling upset, when I feel resentment or anger or sadness or any other negative emotion, I love to go to my little black notebook and write down all my black thoughts, (laughs) exactly as they are stated in my mind, word for word, stream of conscious thought. And every time, without fail, I end up recording words in second or third person. You statements, things like, you aren't good enough. You will never succeed. You can't do this. She doesn't like you. She doesn't love you. He doesn't understand you. She thinks you aren't good enough. He thinks you don't care. Always, always told in a second or third person perspective. This is the perfect time to catch the story and realize that it's not coming from me. I'm being fed an interpretation. These aren't my thoughts. Something interesting happens when we express these thoughts out loud, either directed at someone else or maybe we're confiding in someone else. The moment I start talking about the story to someone else, I automatically change the perspective. It would be super weird if I spoke in second or third person. (laughs) I naturally assume a first person perspective. Now, instead of thinking the thought, your husband doesn't care about you, I speak it out loud to a friend and it becomes, he doesn't care about me. Now the story takes on a whole new level of meaning. I'm not important to him. He would rather be working than be with me, I say. Now the words are first person. Now the words have become my story, my belief. It starts to feel true now. I start to see the evidence now that proves the story is true. The story evolves. It gathers momentum and it gathers pain. Brene Brown tells us that the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. Ever notice how much the stories focus on what other people think of you? This targets your identity immediately and causes you to doubt and forget who you really are. So what are we to do? How can we start to see the stories for what they are? How do we know if we're believing Satan or believing God? Satan is an expert interpreter. Or perhaps we should classify him as a false interpreter. He knows your brain needs proof, so he'll interpret everything to support the story. Every tiny thing. Until we're so deep into a story with so much evidence to support what we've been persuaded to believe is true. There have been so many painful stories in my life. So many painful moments where I have cried myself to sleep believing his interpretations. There was so much evidence after all, (laughs) but I was so caught up in my own thoughts to even notice that they were not at all first person. These thoughts were being spoken to me. They were not from me. They were not me. I've long been grateful for the counsel given by the prophet Moroni, who gives guidance on how you can know if something is true. In Moroni chapter seven, he guides us. He says, Wherefore, all things which are good cometh of God, and that which is evil cometh of the devil. 
For the devil is an enemy unto God, and fighteth against him continually, and inviteth and enticeth to sin, and to do that which is evil continually. Now let me pause just a moment. Since, since none of our actions result without first thinking a thought, let's insert the word think in addition to the word do. He continues saying, but behold, that which is of God inviteth and enticeth to think and do good continually. Wherefore, everything which inviteth and enticeth to think and do good and to love God and to serve him is inspired of God. Wherefore, take heed that you do not judge that which is evil to be of God or that which is good and of God to be of the devil. For behold, my brethren, it is given unto you to judge that you may know good from evil. And the way to judge is as plain that you may know with a perfect knowledge as the daylight is from the dark night. For behold, the spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil. Wherefore, I show unto you the way to judge for everything which inviteth to think and do good and to persuade to believe in Christ is sent forth by the power and gift of Christ. Wherefore, we may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. But whatsoever thing persuadeth men to think or do evil, and believe not in Christ, and deny him, and serve not God, then you may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. For after this manner doth the devil work, for he persuadeth no man to think or do good, no, not one. Neither do his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. And now, my brethren, seeing that you know the light by which you may judge, which light is the light of Christ, see that you do not judge wrongfully. Wherefore, I beseech of you, brethren, that you should search diligently in the light of Christ, that you may know good from evil. And if ye will lay hold upon every good thing and condemn it not, ye certainly will be a child of Christ. Paul promised us that the truth will set us free. Think of the freedom that you feel when you feel love instead of suffering, when you feel faith instead of fear, when you feel joy instead of resentment. Freedom is a fruit of God and a fruit of truth. Satan's interpretations put us in bondage. A friend of mine recently asked me what my word of the year was for 2020. <laughs> I've enjoyed choosing a word of the year for the past several years, and this year was a bit of a wild card, and I felt prompted instead to choose a phrase. My phrase is, see things as they really are. The phrase, things as they really are, comes from the Book of Mormon in the Book of Jacob. Jacob says, the spirit speaketh the truth and lieth not, wherefore it speaketh of things as they really are and things as they really will be. Wherefore, these things are manifested unto us plainly for the salvation of our souls. I don't want to tell stories anymore. I want to see things as they really are. I want the experience of Nephi. I want to have the Holy Ghost as my guide, interpreting what everything in my life means. I want him to tell me what things mean. I want to be free. I want to be persuaded to believe Christ and to think and do good. 
I want to see others as they really are. I want to see myself as I really am. I want to see this life and all my experiences as it really is. It all comes down to the story we tell, which interpretation we believe. Nothing has meaning until we give it meaning. Just like a dream, it must be interpreted. Do we believe Satan's interpretation or God's? Truth always takes more effort. Notice how often truth is paired with the word seek or search or ask. But learning to see things as they really are can make all the difference in living a life of joy or a life of suffering. Seeing things as they really are can make all the difference in a relationship that is full of love and one that is full of resentment. Seeing things as they really are can make all the difference in navigating a challenge with faith or resisting it with fear. Learn to trace the thoughts in your mind to the proper source. What perspective is the story you hear? Is it first person or is it second or third person? What interpretation are you searching for? Are you searching for more evidence to prove a story that brings you into bondage? Or are you searching for freedom? You will find whatever you are looking for. If you're looking for evidence to prove a false story, you will find it. If you're looking for a true interpretation from God, you will find it. See things as they really are seems to be a perfect phrase for a year numbered 2020, a number that we use to represent perfect vision. See things as they really are. What if this was the year we could start to see truth in our relationships? What if this was the year we started to question the stories we've been telling ourselves? and seek the Holy Ghost to show us what is really true. What is the true interpretation? What if we sought God to show us the interpretation of other people's actions or behavior instead of believing the immediate story interpreted by the adversary? What if we refused to believe any second or third person thought that made us feel crummy? What if we shined a light on it all? What would happen to our lives, our relationships, our country, and the world if we really saw things as they really are? What if we sought for the true interpretation in all things? The truth will set you free. Imagine your life seeking God's interpretation. Imagine your life seeking and telling a true story and look forward with faith. If you listen to these episodes and love what you hear and wonder where to start, I invite you to take my Christian Meditation 40-Day Challenge course. Meditation is my most important practice of the day, and I use it for so many things, including seeing things as they really are. <laughs> Some of my old stories have history, and I've told them for a really long time. Just like Alma relates faith to a seed that must be nourished, the new stories I want to tell take just as much repetition and nourishment to believe them. I use meditation to nourish these new stories so I can see things as they really are. The key here is consistency. Starting a new habit and even more so being consistent can be tricky. This is why I offer every student a free buddy pass, allowing you to handpick your own friend or family member to take the course with you. You get your own accountability partner and you both do the challenge together. Two people start a new empowering practice instead of just one. If this is calling out to you, I invite you to register at the link in the show notes, or you can find it on my website at brooksnow.com. 
You can do this. I am cheering you on. 